Good morning. Ooh, bunch of people asleep. Wake up your neighbor. Good morning. All right, I'm glad you guys are here today. It was great to sing some of those songs. Thank you, the worship team that led us in those songs. Those remind me, I don't know about you guys, remind me of when I was young, when I was a kid, some of those older hymns. And some of those really uh, helped to form my faith. And I think that's one of the important things that we need to understand when we're singing is the words we're singing are changing us on the inside and they help form who we are. And so that's one of the things that I love about the DNA of Gateway is that we have such a diversity and variety of even the songs we sing. And so how many of you this morning, you, you would say, man, that brought me back to when I was younger and some, my faith was formed by some of those songs. Raise your hand if that was you. A bunch of you. And so I want you to know that's why we do that. We sing those songs because we know those connect back with your heart. There are some younger people who might say, those are old songs? I never heard those songs. I thought those were brand new songs. Because those haven't been the songs that have formed their faith. They've been formed their faith by other songs, by Chris Tomlin and by Matt uh, Redman and by other people that are the, the famous uh, writers of the day right now. So uh, we, we, when you come here, you get diversity, and we get uh, newer songs and older songs, and we do that on purpose here. We don't want to just be one or the other. Two quick things about things that are coming up, or uh, one, one that's going on right now and, and is ongoing, and then one that's coming up. We have uh, a, a deal here called Gateway 101 Class, and that is something we do on, uh, one, about twice a year, and we do it here on a Saturday night. And if, if you have been coming to Gateway and you've been thinking, I, I think I would like to place my membership at Gateway, that's how we do it here. And different churches do it different ways. The Bible doesn't tell us how to place membership. There is no place in the Bible that says do it this way or that way. This just happens to be the way that it's our tradition that we choose at Gateway. So we have a, uh, uh, an evening meal, and if you decide that you'd like to come, you get green chili cheeseburgers from Wyatt Sparks. That's the way we get you here, because that's the most famous green chili cheeseburgers in New Mexico. And then uh, also, uh, the other thing is that we will give you an opportunity to hear kind of where we, uh, where we're at, where Gateway is at, and where, we're, where we believe God is leading us. And so you'll get a chance to know us well by coming to that evening, and it'll be on October 19th, so that's just a couple of weeks away. If you've been visiting at Gateway and you would like to place membership, I hope you will call the church office or call me or let one of the elders know so we can make sure that we have everything prepared for you. That's this coming Saturday night. Thank you. <laughs> I will be ready for this Saturday night too, and, and so we're inviting you to come this Saturday. Thank you, Kim, Chester. Lost a few days somewhere. The second thing is, there are some guys, we already prayed for them, that went to Juarez, and they're working down there, and I went with them, and I was down there yesterday, and I came back, back late last night, and we, uh, we worked in an orphanage, uh, they, they're building a school in this little orphanage, and we put up some walls, the interior walls, and we um, put up the interior walls, and, uh, and um, sorry, I'm just losing my train of thought a little bit here. And, and I, I wanted to tell you that it's just beautiful to see in that orphanage the children, the children that are at this place. And to hear Roger Branscombe and uh, some other people that talk about the way they see the kids who are transformed 
when they come into this orphanage, and they're then being raised by Christians. And, and so, uh, so I, I just wanted you to know that we are participating in a great work there in, uh, just outside of wars. It's a place called Annapura. I met a guy there named Marguerite. Mar- Margar- Marguerite, I think was his name. And he's about 60 years old. And he spoke pretty good English. I speak muy porquito. Espanol. So we, uh, so we spoke a little bit of Spanish, uh, but mostly he spoke English. And he was able to share his story with me. Said he was a heroin addict for about 30 to 40 years of his life. And he said, people would always say to me, you need to, you need to learn about Jesus. Hey, let us tell you about Jesus. Hey, come to church with me. And he said, oh, I was always like, that's your thing. That's your thing. I have another, this is my thing over here. And he said, people who are running away from Jesus are people who Jesus is pursuing. And then he said this, one day, one day, I stopped running. And he said, everything changed. And he just began to tell me about all the beautiful things that had changed in his life. He went through the pastor school that they have there where they teach people to learn about the Bible where they can then go and share uh, with other people in, in the country. And uh, he, he's not like the pastor of a church somewhere or something like that. But he goes around and he helps as a missionary to these different places. And he goes and fills in for people. And it was just beautiful to get to see a changed life. And I wanted you to know there are orphans across the border in Juarez and there's a man named Marguerite, and there's a whole bunch of other people that I couldn't understand what they're saying because they're talking in Spanish. You, you, are having an impact for eternity in their life, and I wanted you to know that. And let's pray that the guys who live here that are down there, let's pray that they make it back into the United States of America, okay? Uh, that is the little bit of a nervous part is going across the border and back, and so Kenny and I got back late last night, and uh, it was a blessing to be there. All right, that's enough. That's enough of that. Let's open our Bibles. If you got your Bible, we're going to preach the Word today. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to study. Luke chapter 11. There's a story that's an old story. Most of you have heard it. And it probably is a true story, but it might not be. And if it's not, it should be a true story. And we ought to make it a true story in our own lives. A story told about the late 60s when kind of the hippie generation had come on and was a big tumultuous thing in the United States. And a hippie came to a conservative church, a conservative church where everybody was dressed in ties and suits and dresses and, and very, very just, you know, you know, churchy. And they were there and it was awesome and they were singing praise songs to Jesus and it was great, and it was a wonderful church service, and the back door opened, and this hippie walked in, and he was not dressed like the rest. He had on his hippie clothing, kind of uh, besheveled, and his hair was long, and he had you know, a crazy beard, and, and whatever. He didn't have any shoes on. He was barefoot, and he walked in, and, and he came in, and he walked to the back, and he looked, he looked to both sides in the aisle. There's no place to sit, because this, this good church was full of church people. And so nobody was moving over, so he stepped down a few more aisles, and he looked both ways, and there's no one, no place to sit. And he kept walking, and he kept looking, and he kept looking. He got all the way down to the front, 
of the church, right at the front, right here. Nobody's moving. There's no place to sit. The front pews were even full. So he was a hippie. So he just sat down on the floor, crossed his legs like, you know, hippies do. You sit on the floor and cross your legs. And that's what he did. He just sat down right there. And everybody's kind of like, oh, my, you know. And we're singing, but we're kind of a little distracted. And uh, one of the deacons at that church, an older man, known to be a tough guy, take care of business, no nonsense, stood up in the back and started walking his way down the middle aisle. And everybody knew, oh, trouble. That guy's about to get his, you know. We're, as he's distracted us too much. The deacon walked down, and, and he got to, all the way to the front where the, where the young man was sitting, and he put his hands on, on his shoulder, and the man looked up, and then he bent his old knees down, and then he sat down right beside the hippie, the young man, and he crossed his legs, and he worshiped Jesus with him. Most of you have heard that story. It's kind of an old story, but it's one that's worth retelling. And like I said, if it's not true, we ought to make it true. That's the kind of church we want to be at Gateway. We're in a series of lessons called Encountering Jesus. The people that Jesus encountered that, that were in the book of Luke. And, and we're looking at 12 different episodes of people that Jesus met them. And what impact did Jesus have in their life? How did it change their life? And we're asking Jesus to change our life as we read these texts. And we're also asking him to use us as the body of Christ. When we walk through those doors and we walk out there to serve and love and be the body of Christ, we're asking Jesus, help us to be like you were in these stories. I can guarantee you the people that Jesus encountered in our text today, they would not have sat down like the old deacon did. And Jesus had a few words for them about their hearts. He had a few warnings for them, six to be exact, where he said, woe to you. Let's pray and then we'll read the text in Luke 11. God, thank you. Thank you for this church family. I just love these people, Lord, and I'm, I feel so privileged and honored to be here today. I thank you for your word, God. We have read, most of us, many of us have read your word a whole bunch of times. We've read these passages. A lot of us are thinking about lunch or the game or the golf game or the grocery list. And, and that's, that's just probably part of being a human, God. But we're asking you today, would you help us to have some supernatural ability to sit up and open our hearts, to be attentive to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be our teacher today. In spite of me and my weaknesses, would you teach each of us what we need to know? We trust you. May the words of my mouth, and may the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and everyone says, amen. Luke chapter 11. We'll begin in verse 37, and today I'm going to just take a verse at a time and then talk about it, or a couple of verses at a time. And so we'll start in verse 37 and read the first two verses in this part of the text. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Who are these people? Pharisees. 
Pharisees. Sounds like something that you, the doc, you know, he's got bad news. I got bad news for you. You got Pharisees, but we do have medicine for it. A Sunday school teacher asked the class uh, for a definition. What is a Pharisee? And a little kid, you know, said, well, I expect it must be a horse. And the teacher said, well, what in the world makes you think it's a horse? Well, because Jesus said, woe to the Pharisees. Oh, don't even laugh. It's not even worth laughing at. Boo. They're not horses. Pharisees are not horses. They were actually very, very religious people that lived during the time when Jesus lived. The name Pharisee means separate ones. Separate ones. And that was their attitude. They delighted in being separate from the normal people in everyday life. They loved it. This was what they thought about washing hands. This is from the Mishnah, which is what the people of that day added to the law, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But just listen to what they had written about hands and about washing your hands from the Mishnah. The hands are susceptible to uncleanness. They're rendered clean by the pouring over them of water up to the wrist. Now, they're not talking about like germs. They're talking about ceremonially being unclean. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist and the water flowed back to the hand and the hand became clean, but if he poured both the first water and the second beyond the wrist and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand and alone and then the thought himself and poured the second water over the one hand and his one hand alone, then is clean. If he poured the water over the one hand and rubbed it on the other and it became unclean. But if he rubbed it on the head, on his head, or on the wall to dry it off, it remains clean. I don't even know what you're saying here. I, I can't even figure this out, okay? But do you kind of get the point? I mean, that's why I read it. Because it's like, really? That's what, that's what they're talking about when Jesus comes in and they said, he didn't wash his hands. See, they weren't just like the normal people who wash our hands to get... They had ceremonially extras to make sure we're separate from the normal people. We're better than the normal people. We're pretty good. The Pharisees, I will say this, I think they get a bad rap also in Scripture. Like they're evil. Like they're some kind of, you know, Darth Vader. Whoa, you know, and they're like over here, Luke, you know, and they're, anyways, if you, if you don't watch Star Wars, you're wondering what's happening to me, but if you watch Star Wars, you know, you know I'm talking about Darth Vader, and he's the, he's the epitome of evil, right, and so I think a lot of times when people that know a little bit about the Bible, and they read, and they see Pharisee, that's what they think, oh, here's Darth Vader, the, you know, the evil, evil person coming down to talk to Jesus, but really, they were the good people, They were the people who went above and beyond to do every single thing right, the very best they could. The common people seemed to have a love-hate relationship with them. They, they sort of love and look up to the Pharisees because they're so good. How could you be that good? Wow! And they also don't like the Pharisees because the Pharisees make them feel looked down on. I think it's important for all of us to consider as we read this today the possibility that sometimes we may have the same tendencies as Pharisees. It's possible. And so let's look briefly at the words that Jesus says to them and maybe to us as well. Verse 39, Jesus said to him, 
Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Have you ever gone over to somebody's house and you're going to get like a cup of coffee or something? And so they say, oh yeah, the cups are right there. And you open the cabinet up and you pull out the cup and you're about to pour the coffee in and you realize it's dirty. Has that ever happened to you guys? It's happened to me at some of your houses, okay? <laughs> and, and, I, and I won't tell which, which ones it was, but uh, I, I'm sort of kidding. I really don't remember where that's happened, but it has happened to me a few times in my life where I reach to get a dish and I've got it in my hand and it's dirty and I'm thinking, what do I do now? I, you know, I mean, am I going to tell them? This is dirty, Cindy, Carrie? No, no, just not really. The, you know, this is dirty. Or should I, maybe I'll just keep talking and be kind of cool and slip over to the sink and just kind of set it in the sink. Yeah. Oh, or, or am I going to go ahead and drink out of it? I mean, what, you know, what am I supposed to do with this dirty coffee cup? It's sort of uh, useless, to be honest, at, at worst, I guess. And it's, uh, at best, it's it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And I wonder if this might be how God feels sometimes when he picks up a person to accomplish his will in some way, and they look good on the outside, all the rules, they seem to be following all that stuff, but he picks them up, and, and inside they're, they're not clean. There's wickedness and greed and other things that he talks about here. Jesus is addressing this. He's, he's saying that's what's most important is inside, and if if you don't start there, then God has a hard time using you. I'm a little embarrassed to tell you this story. Years ago, I guess I can blame it on my youth, so that'll be okay, I guess. Years ago when I was in my early 20s, and I was a youth minister at another church uh, in Clovis, and we went on a, uh, on a trip out of town, and we were in a, in a big bus, and we had gone into uh, an inner city somewhere. I can't remember where we were. But we were in this inner city, and we had stayed at a hotel, and then we were driving somewhere, and um, there was a woman who was, I, I can't remember why, I can't remember if she was on the side of the road, she needed help, or somehow somebody started talking to her, and she needed a ride, and so we offered to give her a ride on our bus. So she gets on the bus, and she was cold, it was in the wintertime, and she didn't have a coat, and she was glad to be in a warm bus, and we were taking her to wherever it was she needed to go, and one of the sponsors said to me, John, we should give her a coat, because she's she's cold. She doesn't have a coat. And she's stranded or whatever, you know, she's homeless or whatever. I can't remember exactly what the story was. And, and that's part of my immaturity as well. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I don't know the story of the woman. And I thought, I've got, I've got two coats. I had just bought a new coat. I, I have an addiction to buying new coats. My wife knows this. And so I have a whole bunch of coats and I just can't seem to stop buying them for some reason. Or, so anyhow, I, I had a new coat at that time and I thought, I have my old coat and my new coat. I could give this lady my old coat. Yeah, hey, that's good. That's right, we should give her a coat. So I went to the back of the bus to go get my old coat and I realized, and I told the sponsor, oh, I've got one. I'll go get it. I went to the back of the bus to get my old coat and I realized I'd left my old coat back at the hotel room and I'd only brought my new coat. And now I'm, yeah, now I'm stuck. I'm stuck. And I'm, I'm just, I really am, I, I, I'm not kidding when I tell you that this has flashed before my eyes a lot of times in my life, that I brought that coat back and I gave it to the woman 
but I didn't want to. And, and I, didn't, I didn't do this, what I'm, but, but it was almost like my attitude was like, here, have a coat. Okay? Now, I didn't say that, and I didn't throw it at her, but my attitude in my heart was so much that way that I could see in her eyes that she knew. And even though I was giving her warmth on the outside, I was giving her cold, rule-following, ugly on the inside. This is what Jesus is talking about. Jesus was not impressed with what I did that night. Jesus was not impressed with the Pharisees and what they were doing. We've given you a mission card. I hope you're taking these and I hope you're being challenged by them. I hope you're reading the Bible at home. I hope you're looking at these great food for thoughts. Barbara Buchanan wrote this one today, an excellent one on prayer. And we're giving you also your mission should you choose to accept it this week. Well, look at this. Look through your closet at your abundance of possessions. Pick at least one item to give to someone who is less fortunate. But make sure that it comes from your heart and not from a rule. Amen? Amen. Verse 42, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, your rue, and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus is saying he's not impressed with minutia. He's not impressed with majoring on the minors, on the tiny little bitty things. You see, it was not required in the Old Testament for them to tithe every tiny little small herb. That was not required. This was a tradition that the Pharisees had added, again, in the Mishnah, 600 laws in the Old Testament. God gave 600, a little bit over 600 laws in the Old Testament. They had expanded that to 6,000 laws. They are doing tiny little things like breaking, oh, here, oh, we got some mint leaves and they break off a tenth of it to give. They're doing tiny little things with big pride. And Jesus is saying, those small things are still important, that's good, but they're less important than the issue of your pride. Now, we don't see anybody when we pass the plates, you know, to give, nobody's giving little herbs, okay? We don't have anybody doing that here at Gateway. Nobody's giving us a tenth of their, you know, uh, favorite herb at the house or something. That doesn't happen. So how can this apply to us? I think it's possible for us Christians today to make a big deal of things that we give or things that we give up when in reality they're really pretty small things. And there are lots of examples of this, but I'm just give you this one. I've heard people in my lifetime say this. I've heard a lot of people say this, to be honest. And say it with great pride. I have never smoked a cigarette in my entire life. It has never crossed my virgin lips once. I've heard that from people. That I've never done that and I would never, ever, ever do something like that. And the reality is that probably those people aren't giving up anything because they don't have any desire to smoke a cigarette. So the fact that you've never smoked a cigarette, big deal. 
okay? I mean, you're doing sort of a tiny thing with big pride if we do it with that particular attitude. Jesus might say about that, well, good, good for you that you don't smoke. Not that he put it as a law in the Bible. It's a tradition that you've applied that you've added in your church or in your culture now in the United States of America. But it's a good thing. It's a good, healthy thing not to smoke. Good for you. But other things are bigger and more important than not smoking a cigarette. Have you ever tried to fight for justice in the world? The justice justice for people who can't stand up for themselves maybe for children in other countries who are forced into labor to hand roll cigars that your lips would never touch but would you would you fight for justice for somebody instead of just being prideful about what i've never done would you find ways to spread the love of god to people who do smoke would you do that that's big not smoking is little Great, God might say, if you decide not to smoke. It's sort of a tiny thing, but it's good for you. It's good for your health. But don't use that little thing as an excuse for not doing bigger things. That's what the Pharisees did. We don't want to be like that. Verse 43, woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogue, the greeting places in the marketplace. Seating is not as big a deal as it was then to us. I mean, at that time, you're sitting on the right or the left hand of the host of the meal meant you're the most honorable person here above everybody else at the table. You're someone very, very special. You must know somebody really important at this meal. And the Pharisees loved to feel important. And sometimes, so do we. And I'm going to give you one really short little bitty example, and you can apply the rest because we could go on and on with this. But are you ever tempted to drop a name in a conversation of somebody important that you know because now you feel more important in this conversation? I have been tempted to do that. And I think Jesus would say, I'm not impressed with that, John, when you do that. Not impressed. Because it's not about you. It's not about you feeling important. It's about him. That's what it's about. Verse 44 Woe to, be, woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which men walk over without knowing it. I'll tell you, this is a weird saying, kind of, and there's a couple more that are kind of weird. But this was a huge insult to the Pharisees. I mean, I, I, I've tried to think what's a way I could insult you or give you an example of an insult like they got. And it would be difficult to do without getting in big trouble and getting fired, all right? So I've just chosen to maybe explain a little bit that the Old Testament, the Old Testament said if you come in contact with something dead, then you're ceremonially unclean. And that's a big deal to the Pharisees. It didn't mean that you like kicked out or something or you can't be close to God. It meant you had to go through some process to get clean again and come back into God's presence. And this is why one of them was surprised that Jesus isn't washing his hands. You're going to become unclean. This is a huge deal to the Pharisees. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you are making people unclean because you're dead. Whoa. You think about walking over an unmarked grave. 
See, you can't come in contact with something dead in that culture and in that in this Jewish religion or else you're unclean. Well, what if you walked across an unmarked grave and you didn't even know it was a grave? Now you're unclean and you don't even know it. And that's what Jesus is comparing. He's saying, look, you look good. Everything looks great on the outside, but on the inside, you're dead. You're not offering people life. He's saying people who keep rules that are on the outside really well, but they're angry people and they're jealous people and they're lustful people and they're judgmental people and they're hateful people are dead on the inside. He might say similar things to us today. If we're only offering rules to people and not joy-filled living, joy-filled walking with and in the Spirit, we're offering death if we're offering only rules. If we're saying, go to church and do all the right things and everything will be okay, we're offering something dead in the name of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't work. And Jesus doesn't like it because he is life. He is not death. We have to offer more than just a list of rules to the people around us. Jesus from here moves on to talk to the teachers of the law. These were different than the Pharisees. The Pharisees were most interested in religion and in traditions. The teachers of the law are most interested in keeping the rules of the Old Testament. That was their Bible, and they made it their business to know exactly what the Old Testament said. So let's see what happens. One of the experts in the law kind of throws himself into the, the mix here. Maybe not the smartest thing to do. He says to Jesus, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. So Jesus turns from the Pharisees to the teachers of the law. And he's like, well, speaking of you, let's talk about you. He says, you experts of the law, woe to you. You load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry. You yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus is not impressed with heavy burdens and lazy fingers. Did you catch that? He said you load people down with all kinds of rules and all kinds of things that are beyond their ability at this moment to even think about. You load it all on top of them. And you're not even willing to lift a finger to give them a hand. These teachers take the joy out of doing God's will. And they won't help people who are messing up. They might be really fond of saying things like, well, you made your bed, so sleep in it. Your fault, your problem, I didn't do that. You contrast this with the book of Acts. Because later, the church is very soon going to be born, and, and, and you're going to have these new Christians, and all of a sudden you're going to have Jewish Christians, and you're going to have Gentile Christians coming in. And the Jews still have their traditions that are very important to them. They've grown up all their life with these traditions, and Jesus didn't tell them, you can't have any of those traditions. They can keep some of those traditions as long as they don't think they're being saved by them. And all of a sudden, you get Gentiles who come in, and they don't do any of those traditions, and there's a big problem. And so you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. Peter says this to the other Jews when they're talking about it. Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these Gentile disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? We believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as they are. And then they go on to boil down over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And all the traditions that they have, they go on to boil that stuff down to a couple of things they want these Gentiles to avoid. You can read about that in Acts 15. Jesus did the same 
when he was asked, what's the most important? He said, all the prophet and all the law hang on these two things. Love God and love people. Our job is not to burden people. Our job is to introduce people to the grace of Jesus that can save them. A couple more here at the end of this. Woe to you, he says, because you build tombs for the prophets and it was your forefathers who killed them. And he goes on and there's kind of a lengthy thing there. I'm gonna let you read that yourself. Verses 47 through uh, 51. But Jesus is not, he's not impressed with them decorating the tombs of the prophets. And I was like, what does that mean? What do you mean decorating the tombs of the prophets? Basically this, glorifying the past. Oh, the past, I remember back in the day, it was so wonderful and now things are so horrible and oh, there was so much good and now there's no hope and oh, it was so great back then and I wanna tell you something, it really wasn't all that great back then. Whatever then was. We've just forgotten a lot of the mess from back then and we remember the good stuff. It was a lot like now good and bad and God was in it and God is still in it with us here today God might say to us stop comparing today to the past and spend your energy figuring out how to bring joy and life to the people around you that's what God wants to do now today so be a part of it verse 52 woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge you yourself have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering What a strange thing for him to say to the people who knew the Old Testament the best. (laughs) You have taken away the keys of knowledge. He is not impressed with that. It's possible to know so much that your words and your answers hinder people from getting to God. Doesn't that seem counterintuitive and strange? But it's possible. I've experienced it. I've been the person who's hindered people from coming to God because I knew so much and I wanted to tell people all that I knew. And you know what they needed to hear? God loves you. That's what they needed to hear from me at that moment. But I wanted to tell them all the stuff I knew. Jesus, in this text, is not very impressed with knowledge. That doesn't mean he doesn't want us to know the Bible. I love Psalm chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Delight in the law of the Lord. On his law, meditate day and night. And you'll be like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever you do will prosper. That comes from being rooted in God's word. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't have knowledge. I'm just saying that's not what impresses Jesus when we try to tell our knowledge to everybody else. That's not wisdom. And this text tells us what is Jesus impressed with? He's impressed when people care for the poor is what this text says. Go back and look at it. He's impressed when people fight for justice. Go back and look at the text. He's impressed when people tell and show the love of God. Go back and look and see. He's impressed when we are helping other people. That's what impresses Jesus. And that's what he tells these Pharisees and these teachers of the law. That's what our answers and our lives and our interaction with other people need to do. They need to help people. They should always lead back to the good news that Jesus saves people It should always lead back to the hope that I have and that you have. And that only hope is what Jesus accomplished when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. At the end of the day, I just, I I do have to say this. It's a strange text to me. And I've asked a lot of times, why is Jesus so angry? He really seems angry. These are strong words. Go back and read them and try to imagine Jesus looking you in the face and saying these things to you. Why is he so angry? 
these seem, a lot of them, like pretty normal human struggles, being prideful and petty and legalistic and comparing ourselves to other people. Everybody does those things. Why is he so angry? He's angry because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are causing people to think that's what God is like, and he's not. God is not petty and legalistic and care about comparing with other people. This is not who God is. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are keeping people away from God, and God doesn't want people to be kept away. Listen to the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Not come to me, all who got it all together. Are you tired? Got a bunch of burdens? Come to me. Little kids, you got it all together? Nope. Okay, good. Come to me. Are you thirsty? Yeah, I am. Come to me. That's God's heart. Two last things about this text. Why didn't Jesus wash his hands? Did you notice that? Do you think he did it on accident? Do you think Jesus was in a hurry? Do you think Jesus forgot to wash his hands? Do you think any of those things? I don't. I think Jesus, I think Jesus purposely wants to confront the Pharisees, and so he purposely, listen to me, offends them on purpose. I believe that's what Jesus did. And so maybe, I'm, this is just me, this is John, I'm just imagining, and you can disagree with me totally. That's fine. We can have a conversation about it. But I'm saying, what if Jesus showed up in 2013? You think there might be anything he might do to try to get our attention like he did them? I wonder if he might go sit at a bar I wonder if he might have a drink of alcohol. Boy, that would offend a lot of people, a lot of Christians. It, it, does the Bible have laws against that? Well, you, we can argue about it if you want. I'm going to say no. I wonder if Jesus would do that to wake us up and say, what's most important? You want to turn Christianity into, you don't drink alcohol and you don't sit at a bar? You miss the boat. That's not what Christianity is about. I wonder if Jesus would hang out with people who every other word they said was a cuss word. Might be offensive if you brought him to our house. Hey, here's my friend. And friend comes in and it's cuss word this and cuss word that and cuss word. And you might be like, wow, that's who you hang out with? Yeah, that's who I came for. Sure is. Maybe somebody who is, has totally different viewpoints and opinions than he does. That challenges me to want to try to be the kind of person Who's like Jesus? I want to try to be like him. I want to try to be around people like he would be. Because hand washing is not required in the law. It was a tradition. And Jesus is saying this, God's heart is more important than your traditions. The last two verses. Jesus left there. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him and fiercely, uh, oppose him fiercely and besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Do you realize Jesus took a huge risk in this confrontation? It's a risk that's eventually going to lead to being part of why he dies. Because he's offended these people. He's made them very, very angry. He's doing it because he's standing up for the other people, the rest of the people. But he took a big risk. 
And yet, here's the awesome part that I don't want to miss. It might be my favorite part of the whole thing we read today. Where is this happening? It's happening at a Pharisee's house. Because he is eating with the Pharisees. They're going to kill him. Better yet, he's going to die for them. And he's going to have many confrontations with these people, but he's still willing to sit down with people that he does not agree with. He's willing to eat with them. They are valued, valuable to him. They are his enemies. And he will sit with them at table. They are his enemies. They will kill him. And they are valuable to him. He loves them. That's why he can call us, love your enemies. As a matter of fact, last time I checked, the Bible says we were his enemies. And he loved us and he died for us and he saved us. Check it out in the book of Romans. So how does it apply to us? Three questions. What if we are similar to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? What if that's us? Well, then ask God to open our eyes and help us get past the exterior, get past the religion, get past the traditions, and give him our hearts so he can wash those hearts from the inside out. What if we're around Pharisees and teachers of the law? What, you, maybe you know some Pharisees. You're listening to this. You're like, oh, that, yep, that reminds me of that person. What if we're around some Pharisees and the teachers of the law? How about if we ask God to give us courage not to always wash our hands? What if we ask God to give us the courage not to play it safe every single time? What if we ask God to give us the courage not to keep quiet when we need the courage to stand up for people who are being hurt by Pharisees and teachers of the law. And lastly, what if we have some enemies today that want to harm us, that want to trick us, that want to catch us, people that want to misrepresent you or get rid of you? What if you have that in your life? How about if we ask God to fill us up with enough love that we could sit down and eat with them? How about if we ask God to fill us up with enough courage that we would not be afraid of our enemies? I mean, what's the worst they could do? Crucify us? They could. And last time I checked, that's the invitation that we accepted. Jesus said, you going to follow me? Go get a cross, get it over your shoulder, and follow me to your death. Whether that be at the end of your natural life, or whether that be because somebody, your enemies, kill you. That's a hard lesson. I, I've, I, I've tried to say these things first to myself. And I hope you've heard that. And I've tried to say these things with love. You guys from Rudoso, you guys that live here, I love you. You guys that are visiting, I don't know, I'm doing my best. I'm trying to love you. I'm, try, I'm trying to say it with a smile. I'm trying to do the best I can. Those are hard things to hear. And it ain't coming from John. This isn't me. Jesus. Jesus is calling us to the things that are most important. Let's stand and sing this song, Give Him Our Hearts.